Good morning. Good morning. Breakfast today is sponsored by Joseph R. Safra, dedicated in honor of Rabbi Shlomo Fari and family. Breakfast is dedicated as well in loving memory of Naftali God. Alava shalom Naftali ben Leah and Nisan God. Beloved husband of Shifra God, father of Michael and Joseph God, Lili Ishai and Peggy Dahan. Breakfast is also sponsored by the Bahar family in honor of the Kahal, for success in everything. Thank you so much for the sponsorship. If anyone would like to sponsor, you can get in touch with us on our website or through the WhatsApp group. And as well, we've got a lot of requests recently uh, for people who cannot sign up to get the recordings each day because they're trying to send it to people. Just send me a message and I'll send you the new uh, chat links or whatever where they could follow it on the podcast. <clears throat> Wherever great podcasts are sold. Okay, the amazing, the amazing story of Egypt, as we said yesterday, was really a prep for all of the Jewish people. It was something, it perhaps maybe even an investment, one could call it in the Jewish future. However, the lessons uh, that are important to glean from this uh, story are not only of what befell them, but also... <clears throat> <clears throat> in the way in which they were initially tricked. We described yesterday the process that Paro uses in order to get the Jewish people to become slaves. Number one, he offers to pay everyone by the brick. He gets all the Egyptian nobles and the regular people. The Jews turn up, they're paying everybody. Slowly but surely after a few days, the, uh, the Egyptian king and the nobles you know, kind of sneak off and everyone's still coming to work. And then the Egyptians kind of sneak off and the Jews are still coming to work. And then the, what's it called? And then the, uh, they tell them we're going to stop paying you money, you know, but we want you to do it for national reasons. And the Jewish people still start coming to work. Because, you know. And then finally, slowly but surely, um, they actually are forcing them to do it without them getting paid and they become the slaves that they are. Says the Vilna Gaon. The Vilna Gaon was an absolute genius. He was a genius not only in, uh, in teaching, perhaps one of the greatest, not just of his century, but of the centuries that came before him as well, a, uh, a genius from a young age actually, someone who was capable of learning under incredible duress. They had no food in the house uh, as a child for the Vilna Gaon. Uh, he, was a, he was wise not only in uh, the revealed Torah, but also in Kabbalah and other things and every part of Torah. And he was so clever that when he was in the bathroom, when it was forbidden to learn words of Torah, he actually wrote a math book uh, a book a tree on, on maths, I think, I forget the name, I think, it was called, I think it's called Evan Shilema, uh, written by the Vilna Gaon, in which he has a theorem which is still studied today in mathematics called Kramer's Theorem, because his name was Rabbi Eliyahu Kramer. Now, the amazing thing about this, uh, about the Vilna Gaon's insight, is one of the things I try and communicate in many of the classes, and that is that the myopia with which we view the words of the Torah robs us of the broader perspective and the deeper lessons that sit in every story. Every story is meant to communicate with all of its nuances and all the characters, not just a story about them, but really a story about us. So says the Vilna Gaon, this story about the Jewish people's descent into slavery is really also the story of every human being's descent into slavery. And what does that mean? I want to express what that means, a human being's descent into slavery. The Gemara makes a derasha. It says in the Torah, Charut al-Haluchot. 
uh, engraved on the luchot. Says the Gemara, Al do not read it charut, which means engraved, okay? Rather, ela cherut, which means freedom. Because there is no freedom other than the Torah. Now that sounds like a strange thing to say. Because if anything, you know, most slaves don't have many commandments. Like, you know, they tell them, move the rocks, you know, uh, clean the house. But they're not given a set of laws that is so comprehensive, that encompasses each and every area of their life, you know, uh, like we do. If anything, one would think that a Jewish person's uh, slavery to God, if you will, and that's actually what we call ourselves, Eved the greatest appellation a human being can earn. Only Moshe earns that term. He's Eved Hashem by the end of his life. You know, so it's really a slavery as well, isn't it? Now, in fact, when we get to the days of Pesach, we celebrate this idea that God took us out from being slaves to Paro, and instead we became slaves to Him. Kili b'nei Yisrael avadim. For to me are the Jewish people servants. So it's kind of like we exchange one slavery for another. Used to be we had to listen to Paro, and now we have to listen to God. Now the difference is, Rabotai, and this is an extremely powerful idea. I've communicated bits of it before. But listen to the idea here. The idea is that that is absolutely true. But I'd like to give you an example. There's a young man whose father is very, very wealthy. He goes to study in whatever university, comes back with his fancy schmancy paper. Whenever you add the letters S-C-H before a word, you know that you're absolutely being sarcastic, okay? It's schmancy. It comes back, and the kid thinks he's top of the world. He thinks he's going to tell his father, who's successful in business for 50, 60 years, you know, that he's going to tell his father how to run the business. Story of many people in the community's life. Many people in the world's life. Why? Because he has a paper. He hasn't been one day, he hasn't made one dollar, okay? But he, he knows better because he learned this, okay? Sometimes that's true, oftentimes it's not. Okay? Now, listen to this, and this is amazing. Guy comes to his father, he says, Dad, you know, I've got my paper, so when do I start? Father says, absolutely, We're very excited to have you, you know. I'd love for you to work for me, you know, etc., etc. Why don't you start over here or see what you can do? And the kid comes to work, he's making money, da 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 da. You know, bringing money into the company. He's there for two years, working very hard. Five years, makes a lot of mistakes. You know, comes crying, father fixes things up. Ten years he's been in the company. Comes to his father, he says, You know, dad, I joined right out of college. Now I'm married, I have a couple of kids. You know, I need, I need to earn some more money. I didn't want to ask you, I didn't want to be ungrateful, but actually I need to earn more money. My kids are now in school, I'm starting kids in school, you know, we need a bigger place, this, that, and the other, you know, and I feel like I've added value, I've made you a lot of money, so is there any way that I could also make some more money? Father starts laughing. He says, come here. Anyway, he walks him into the room, he opens up the computer, he shows him a spreadsheet. He says, every dollar you made for me, what do you think I did with it? He says, I was a billionaire, while you were getting your papers. I paid your college debt. You know, you don't have any college debt. I, I paid for, you know, for your wedding. You didn't, you, I paid for, you know, you think I need the money you're making me? It's like, he says, so every dollar you made me, here, look, I wrote it down. I've been saving it. I put it in a bank account for my son with the fancy schmancy papers, right? And it's here, it's all waiting for you. Guys, 
God doesn't need a single thing from us. He doesn't need a single thing from us. He, his nature is that he is infinite. What could you give an infinite God that he needs from you? There's nothing that God needs from us. So whereas with Pharaoh, the slavery was to, be, to benefit him, whether it was power, whether it was money, whether it was building pyramids, whether it was, you know, giving him gold so he could wear it as a skirt. I don't know what they did, right? We see amazing images of Egyptians, that, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, whatever he, re- he had a reason for it. God doesn't need anything from us. The only reason why we serve him is in order to put money aside for ourselves. Why did dad put the money in when his kid came home from college into some fund? Why didn't he give it back to the kid? Why didn't he just, every time the guy made money, just put the money in the kid's pocket? The answer is, because what do you do with money in your pocket when you're 20 years old? You spend it on a magnum, right? That's what you do. You go clubbing, you buy yourself a fast car until you get into an accident with it because you need it to be so cool. You see what I mean? We make stupid decisions at that point in our life. The same thing is true of humanity. When we serve God, God takes the aggregate result of those mitzvot and He puts it away for us. He puts it away for us so that when we're not uh, driven to make silly, shallow decisions with our, uh, the, the product, the value that we've created, right? When, when we're no longer bound by the Yetzirah trying to get us to spend that on everything and everything, Right? Then we can actually earn in the world to come, at later stages in life, we can earn and reap the benefits of the mitzvot that we made, that we did earlier on. So the irony is that the only way to serve yourself is to serve God. You hear that? You serve Pharaoh, you serve in someone else. You serve yourself, you serve your lesser self. But how do you serve your true self? How does someone who's making decisions fast and loose making decisions based on looks, based on desire, based on other considerations, honor, glory, power. How does someone invest in their future, in their real self? The only way is actually to invest it with someone who is uh, incorruptible, right? To have that, that that comes back to you at some later stage. So Borei Olam says, I took you away from Pharaoh to make you slaves to me. That is the challenge. Give people everything. Their hedonistic nature steals it from them. And how does that happen? The Vilna Gaon says, everything is hidden in the descent into slavery in Egypt. The first thing that happens is, they bring you in with a feeling of camaraderie. Everyone's doing it. Is that not the first words of the, of the Yetzirah? What, what drew the Jews in? Everybody's doing it. Even the king is doing it. I got to do what everybody does. I got to do what celebrities do. Is there a bigger malaise or disease than that in our society today? I need to do what celebrities do. In fact, one of the most amazing things to understand is that a person can understand a tremendous amount of, about human psychology from advertisements. Why? Advertisements are meant to hack the human system. When they show you these things, they have spent millions or even billions of dollars in this industry to figure out how do I get a human being in 30 seconds to buy what I want him to buy? How do I get him to pay for beer that comes in a can with no words on it, which is the same as beer that comes in a can with my words on it, 
How do I get him to pay double or triple the price? How do I get someone to pay 10 times, 50 times the price for a pair of underwear just by writing the words Calvin Klein on the label? It doesn't make it stretchier, right? The, the, the band. What does it do? What does it do? Does it change anything? I mean, hopefully no one's even seeing the brand of Calvin Klein, of your underwear, right? Other than the people who already buy into you. Do you understand this? What is the, what is the draw here? And the answer is, number one, have beautiful people wear your clothing. The brain says, well, they're doing it. If they're doing it and they're beautiful, then probably if I do it, I'll also be be- I'll be like the beautiful people. Abercrombie and Fitch a while ago hit the world by storm and then it just disappeared. But while, while it, was, uh, it was hot, there were lines down the block to get into the store. Do you know what their trick was? They only hired, only, salespeople. This wasn't something that you found there was. They only hired beautiful people to be salespeople. And then they turned down the lights. There was a sense of mystery. Ooh, what is this crazy world that you walk into where you could barely see anything? And everyone who wears their clothing is beautiful. I have to get some of these. And also, there's a line out the door. There's enough room in the stupid store. They don't need to make lines. <laughs> Why have lines out the door? It wasn't health and safety. You're walking down the street, you're like, what is this? I need some of that. There's a line. Do you understand that? In fact, I thought to myself, if I ever open a store, I have a brilliant idea. Just pay stupid people who cannot do any other job. Just pay them to sit online in front of a store. And then they just cycle through. I mean, what, are people going to wait, check, and see who's the people on the line? You know, just let them keep going. It's just a red rope. Then they leave and come back. Okay, see you tomorrow, Dave. You know, and the guy comes back. <laughs> Next day, you pay him another $5. Fantastic idea. By the way, what an unbelievable idea to employ homeless people. Fantastic, right? Now listen to this, Rabotai, and this is, this is crazy. So it's the way you want to look and understand how human beings are tricked, how human beings work. Just look at the advertisements, see the research that they've done, and understand, oh my gosh, this is how I work. And then, and then, Look out for when it's happening to you. Do you hear that? It's so brilliant, the Vilna Gaon. So brilliant. The Gemara says something amazing. <clears throat> Gemara Shabbat. This is the way of the Yetzir Hara. Today he tells him, do like this. Tomorrow he says, oh, you know what, do this. And if he tells him to do this and to do this and to do this, he tells him, Go worship Abu Dazara. And the guy goes, he worships Abu Dazara. Through this, a person, he, the Yetzirah gets a person to cross the red lines he never thought he would cross. If I asked you, at the beginning of your marriage, would you ever yell and scream at your wife? What would you say? Kidding me? Yell and scream at my wife? What are you talking about? I just look into her eyes and I melt into a puddle on the floor. What are you talking about? And I said, that's because she's the wicked witch of the... No. Rabbi, you see, you, I look fakalas. I do one second. I, I die for her. She's the best ever. Yetzirah doesn't tell a person, wakes up on a Tuesday morning, yell at your wife. He doesn't do that. What does he do? He says, you know what she did? She didn't do this. She did this. She was supposed to do this. She did that. You know what? She needs to learn. She needs to learn. Maybe just show her that you're upset. How else is she going to learn unless you kind of come in, walk in the house with that face on? Mm. 
Now she sees your face. She says, what's the matter? And you say, nothing. Yetzirah is getting you very easy. What have you done? Done nothing. I put a face on. Nothing. She even asked me what was wrong. I told her nothing. Until she's in a tizzy trying to figure out what it is exactly she even did wrong. And she's distressed. And then and things, and things develop until eventually what winds up happening. The Yetzirah doesn't say yell at your wife. He says, he says, just give her like a sharp line. Just tell her. Put her in a place. She said she's going to do that to you. What, she's going to, do you know what I did for you? Yetzirah, slow, slow, slow. He doesn't tell you to stop praying to God. He doesn't say, take everything in your life for granted. He says, come on, how many brachot do I have to make a day? The rabbi said I have to make over 100 brachot in one day. Was he crazy? Well, I'm gonna be, uh, I have to need to have a job. <laughs> right? How am I going to make 100 brachot a day? Forget it. You know what? Slowly. He goes, takes you to 99. But the journey to zero is from 100 to 99. That's what it means. The next day, each day, the Yetzirah works at something. So recognize the tricks that he's doing. Recognize that he'll get you there by telling you that everybody's doing it. Oh, I want to eat here. I want to do this. I want to go to everybody. I see everybody, everyone in the community. It must be fine. Or maybe it's not fine, but you know what? I think this is what regular people do. Rabbi, I'm not extreme like you. I love that one. I'm not extreme like you. I'm not extreme. What does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? Like, again, I need, I need people to hear this. You want to say, I'm not holding, I'm not on the level to be keeping everything? Fine. That's okay. Everybody's on a journey, myself included. I wish I did everything right. That day will come probably after I die. Right? Now, but the point is, Rabbi this is so important. The idea, this is extreme, it cuts off even the ambition to achieve perfection. So instead, aim for whatever you can aim for and then slowly get there, right? But to say I'm extreme means I'm not going to try. Rabbi, for me, eating kosher, eating kosher meat is enough. You know what, you, you see, I, I, I always say yes right now. Rabbi, I'm not holding there. And I say, yet. But the Yetzirah is so good, he's so good at pulling one thing after the next away off the table until eventually a person can get to a stage uh, uh, where he's doing the worst possible thing. You know, you think anybody wakes up one day and says they want to throw their kid out of the house? No. Yetzirah would never, he wouldn't tell you to do that when you bring him home for the Brit Milah. Because he's so cute and he's so amazing. He wouldn't tell you to do that when he's six years old. But you know what happens? slowly but surely and then he questions the decision and then he says this and he was a little bit fresh and each time the Yetzirah tells you lose your temper show him now here's the crazy part the Yetzirah is so good he's so clever you know why? because the Yetzirah is us <coughs> you know there was a, a, a movie that just came out I'm a, I'm a big tech guy so I love reading about developments in technology and one of the developments in technology which is absolutely fascinating and absolutely terrifying is something called deepfakes. Deepfakes is a technology where they'll take a person's face from 15, 20 different angles 
They'll take a picture from this one, a picture, and you don't, you don't have to even agree to it. They'll just go online, go through your Facebook page, take pictures of you from a thousand different angles, because, you know, the person has to do that when they need the perfect selfie. So they have all these different images of the guy, and all of a sudden, what do they do? They use a technology to stream it together. And now, they tell this new CGI face to say, please deposit all of your funds into this bank account, whatever, and then they'll send it to, uh, to someone in the family, and it looks like, it's amazing actually. If you haven't seen it, you can check it out. There's um, some unbelievable things that are going on. So in this film, it's uh, an actor who's acting against himself, and this character in the film, in the entire film, there's not a single shot of the alter character, of the twin character, right? That is actually real, not one. And it looks, if you were to see the pictures or the images, you would not believe for one second that you're not looking at an actual human being. Deep fakes. Unbelievable. The Yetzirah is deep fake. He's capable of creating things that look so real that the human eye is unable to tell the difference. You could watch it for an hour or two hours and be unaware. And people, after the film, in the article I was reading, after the film, people were Googling in the movie theater who played the other version of the actor, or how did they make the other guy? How did they film the scenes where the guy is basically talking to himself? And the answer is, he's only ever talking one, and the other person is complete fake. The Yetzirah is unbelievable at what we call deep fake technology. What does he do? The Gemara says, and there's many ways to interpret this in Eruvin, Posh'ei Yisrael, the sinners of Israel, Mele'im mitzvot karimon, are full of mitzvot like a pomegranate. The literal interpretation is, even a Jewish person, they say, Rabbi, I'm not religious. And you tell the guy, come here, oh, you know, Rabbi, I live too far. You know, I don't, I don't drive on Shabbat. <laughs> I'm not religious. Rabbi, this, uh, what's going on over here? Is this, uh, is this place kosher? You know, they start asking you halachic questions. I thought you don't care. Even the literal interpretation is, even the worst Jew, so to speak, quote-unquote, has a lot of mitzvot sitting inside of him. Mile'im mitzvot karimon. He's full of mitzvot like a, a pomegranate. That's a very positive spin on the, on the Gemara, and definitely is its simple interpretation. However, Rav Yonason Ibeshitz um, translated a little bit differently, and with this idea we'll end. He said, the worst people are full of mitzvot like karimon. They're not full of actual mitzvot. They're full of what they think on mitzvot. One of my favorite lines in Family Feuds. He yelled at me. A person yells, screams, does something horrible, curses, throws someone out of the house. And what do they say? Rabbi, I had to do it. Why? Because otherwise he'll never learn. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I didn't understand this all the time. I thought you were being horrible. Actually, you were educating. <laughs> Otherwise, he'll never learn. You know what I always ask? How's that working out for you? Has he learned? You know, is, are you getting what you wanted out of this? The Yesra is so good that he'll convince us that our sins are mitzvot. A person acts out of arrogance in the workplace, you know, pushing, using his power to push people around. And what is he telling himself? It's very important in a business. People should know who's the boss. Otherwise, chaos. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. I thought it was arrogance. Actually, you were managing people. That's what you were doing by, by throwing your way, being a bull in a china shop. Push Israel, the sinners of Israel, mele'im mitzvot karimon. 
They're full of only mitzvot. Everything that they did was a mitzvah. Everything they did was came from the right place. You yelled at someone in shul. Why? Yeah, I gotta. Who's gonna stop this guy? You know, thinks he can walk all over everybody. I needed to. I needed to intervene. I needed to get involved. You speak lashon hara about somebody. What do you say? I need to protect. I need to protect people. Oh my God, you protector, educator, manager. You're amazing. You have zero averot. There's nothing wrong with you. You only do the most wonderful things. What an unbelievable question to ask ourselves. How many misvot are we doing that are actually not misvot at all? Are not misvot at all. They're just the result of poor or negative character traits. Paro, I always imagine him using his hands like this. Right? Let's outsmart the Jews. And that same image is the image you should have. The Yetzirah. Let's outsmart him. The biggest challenge of the Yetzirah and the reason why he's so good at getting us is because he is us. The Yetzirah is all of our negative desires, our negative uh, uh, character traits. Now, they know the workarounds inside of you because they are you. They know they can't tell you, do this. So they tell you things in installments. It's like you're investing in an Avon on a payment plan. Only $20 a month. You can't afford to do this yet, but if I pay $10, I can do that, right? Rabotai, we should be zocher all the time. And I give this beracha um, from the depths of my heart. Maybe the biggest beracha in the whole world is to see ourselves as we are and not as we wished ourselves to be. To have an absolute clarity of vision and an honesty of perspective in ourselves. Now, people will tell me, you know, what do you mean, Rabbi? I'm going to be honest with myself. Uh, you know, yeah, it's this person's fault, it's that person. Let them worry about them. Anyway, you worrying about them is not going to change them. Worry about you with an honesty of perspective. If someone says to you, that was very arrogant, don't yell at them. Think to yourself, is it possible? Maybe. You know what? It's so liberating saying to the person, you know, I might be wrong. I've been wrong before. I feel strongly about this. I think it's the right thing to do. Is it possible I'm wrong? Yeah, yeah, it's possible I'm wrong. At least be honest. Is it possible you're wrong? It's possible. I still believe this way. I'm still going to act this way. But at least I'm honest. At least I'm honest with myself. I'm not doing it because Paro's doing it. I'm not doing it because the other, other Egyptians are here. I'm not doing it because other Jews are here. I'm doing this because I think I need to do this. May God bless us with that perspective, Amen. with that clarity. Amen. So many of our things would just disappear into thin air if we could have those two berachot. Honesty of perspective, perspective and a clarity of vision where we could see ourselves as we were instead of as we wished ourselves to be. Amen. Amen.